This call is being okay. recorded. Okay, now we're on, and the, the headphones are working, and so... Okay, yeah. so right now it's Wonder. all systems go, right? Okay, it looks like, yeah, so... Okay. So, so, uh, so we can start, but we're going to start with the story of when I got, when Mella shot me. young cowboy named Billy Joe grew restless on the farm A boy filled with wanderlust who really meant no harm He changed his clothes and shined his boots and combed his dark hair down And his mother cried as he walked out Don't take your guns to town, son, leave your guns at home, Bill Don't take your guns Welcome to, to Episode 4 of The Many Near Deaths of John Heisinger. John Heisinga is my father, and he has almost died a great number of times and in an unusual variety of ways. Since beginning this podcast, my father has begun writing his near-death stories in a linear way. There are 23 so far for those who are curious. I think there are more, but he and I disagree about what exactly constitutes a near-death experience. Episodes 4 and 5 are circling back in time to pick up a couple of stories that we missed earlier. Today's episode takes place in southern Ontario in 1951. So this story happens at age 11, I think. So, okay. And so, so what it is, is uh, we, we live on a 100-acre farm. And we have 18 cows, and we have pigs, and chickens, and horses, and dogs, well, we have everything. So uh, in the summer, right after chores, after milking, uh, the three of us, Mala, Cecil, and I, would go back to the creek, would, would go to the swimming hole. And so it's really odd when I think about that because we never walked. We would always run at a trot. And so oh. it's interesting because, because from my, it's a real uh, a conflict with how I, oh, honey, I lost the track. Can we start over? <laughs> <laughs> I just stumbled. So, so when I didn't, yes, I think, stumble. I think it's okay. I think you can just keep going. Okay. Well, it's a real contrast to how I move today. Cause, cause we oh, would, yeah. we would, we would trot, we would run on a trot. I just read a book. And that's how the Bushmen, they always run in a trot. They never walk. But we were 11 wow. years old, so we could do that. So Mella is carrying the shotgun. Well, that shotgun, that was our prized possession. We had just gotten it. And all the other farm kids in our concession were insanely jealous because they said, <laughs> these, these Dutch immigrant boys, They've got a 12-gauge shotgun, and the best they could ever hope to lay their hands on would be a measly little 22 rifle. So, Can I and, stop uh, you here and ask a handful of questions, or should I wait till the end? Oh, no. You can, you can ask questions whenever you like. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you were in the Netherlands, would you guys have had a shotgun on a farm? Would that have been a normal oh, thing? Oh, absolutely not. No, absolutely oh. not. 
not okay. allowed. <laughs> okay. So then you move to Canada, and at some point you realize that it's either necessary or culturally normal to have a shotgun on a or have a firearm anyway on a farm, a gun, oh, like yeah, a rifle, yeah, not a handgun. Yeah, we, we got that really quickly, and so first we got the twenty-two, and no, but, and I tell but, you that twenty-two rifle we got so good at it that at fifty paces I could drive a nail into a board, I could just get a nail started in a board, and I could drive it in with a gun. That's how good that, we got. That's that been a, that's a very impressive feat. But I, I have a core and, I have a core question, which is, what were the guns for? Like, were there wolves around or something? No, no, no. They were just a thing. In, in a Canadian farm, you had to have a gun. And so, oh, okay. but for us, the gun was just the ultimate toy because I tell you, we got and and twenty two shells were 50 cents for a bottle of 50, box of 50 shells. And so uh, we never had any money, but you could always filch a little bit out of the collection plate at church. <laughs> so that's what... Because <laughs> if, if you could get two quarters, well, then you had another whole box full of ammunition for the 22. So... Oh, uh, dad. Dad. Yeah. I have yeah. this... This memory that you had a whole system for, like, I hesitate to even say this out loud because I feel like it has implications for your afterlife, but um, you you had, like, a whole system for taking money from the collection plate that involved tinfoil. Is that true? That's right, because what you could do, my mother would give us, the collection plate came by twice for every church service. So my mother would give us each a dime, two dimes. And so what you could do is you could take a penny and you very carefully cover that penny in tinfoil and you really press on it until that tinfoil showed up all the details of the penny. And you couldn't really tell it from a dime when you hopped it in the collection plate. Don't <laughs> Don't you think that the the church noticed? I mean, they noticed yes, at some point. They noticed when they counted it. Did they no. did they say anything, or did they know it was you? No, of course not, because you did, didn't want that information out there ever. Because <laughs> I tell you, you would the, the whatever hellfires they could whip up on earth, they would subject you to. But the thing is, sometimes. All the elders came together, and my father was part of that, the deacons, and they had to count the money. Uh-huh. So then sometimes they'd count it at our house. So I can remember that really well. <laughs> they'd be sitting there counting all this money, and some of these guys counted them for pennies, and other people counted them for dimes. So then when they finally got done, because they had three guys counting the money, then the figures didn't balance. Well, they couldn't understand that. So then they'd have to recount the whole pile of money until they finally figured out that these pennies, these dimes were really pennies covered in tinfoil. And uh, were you the only one doing that? Yes, we were the only ones because we needed money for the 22. 
(laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't have done it. And the thing is that you can get so good with the 22, but only if you have lots of ammunition. Right. So, and and I could hit a rabbit on the run with the 22 most of the time, not always. But it was, we got so good with that thing. And so, but the shotgun, I mean, that's like going, that's like going to heaven because the shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, well, holy smokes, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's flying or running, you can get it. You hit it every time. Um, so, um, so well, Mel who, had the shotgun. Okay, so you had a shot. Who bought you the shotgun? Was that your dad? I don't know where it came from. It was a really old one, but it worked just fine. It was a single okay. shot Cooey shotgun. And uh, yeah, it worked fine, but it was really old. So who knows where it came from? Maybe John Wolf, the farmer my dad worked for. I don't know. It it came. We didn't ask where it came from. We were just given it. So, or at least this, we were allowed to use it. This is not the shotgun that was around that when I was growing up. This isn't the shotgun I know. Oh no, that's a real collector's item shotgun. That's a. Uh, uh, that that thing is a hundred years old almost. Wow! So, all right. Yeah, well, that's and, and that's a course. story for another time. Um, yeah, we, uh, I told you off track. You were you're telling me about Mel and the shotgun. Okay. Well, we're walking. We're 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 on our way to the to the water hole, right to the swimming hole. So as we get to the valley where the creek is, which is really brushy, kind of wild land, right? And uh, and all of a sudden we scare up a cottontail rabbit. He runs out, and then he he runs into a bush, a big shrub. So then I go around the other side of the shrub, and Mel cocks the shotgun, and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna scare up the rabbit, <laughs> and I'm gonna flush out the rabbit. So Mel, all of a sudden there's a whole new rabbit that just comes out of nowhere, and it runs right across my path. And so Mel raises the shotgun, and you track the fast-running rabbit with the barrel, and then boom, and he hits it. And the rabbit does a big somersault midair. And uh, but meanwhile, I hear, I feel a really sharp pain right in my rib cage. And then I look down, and then there's blood seeping into my shirt. I've been hit. So I call Mel over, and. We're horrified. What? What are we going to do? We're, they're going to take our shotgun away. So, so what to do? Well, oh, well, well, we, we can't. We can't tell Mem, and we can't tell Dad, and we can't go to the doctor because all of those is we're going to immediately lose the shotgun. Okay. So, so then we sit down, and I hone my knife on a piece <laughs> of sandstone. Until it's as sharp as a razor. And then Mal says, okay, lie down. And he's going to like, and he proceeds to dig out the pellets. There's only two pellets. And they're, each one of them is between a rib, between the ribs. So, well, I tell you, that hurts way worse than being shot. And so and Mal keeps saying, you got to lay still. Don't move. I can't do this. And I finally get up and I say, that's it. We're done with this. We're not doing this anymore. And uh, we're just going to leave the pellets where they are. 
and then uh, we proceed on our way and we go swimming and we wash my shirt in the creek so the blood is off of it and uh, and then we arrive home with a really plump little cottontail rabbit and we skin it and then we have it for dinner and then my father says yeah my youngest my boys my boy he's gonna he's he's a real nimrod and mel beams with pride so so it was but a good day dad nimrod no, he says is not a compliment Oh, no, that's not true. Nimrod was a guy in the Old Testament, and uh, and he was the great hunter. How did that come to have a connotation in English as being someone who's kind of an idiot? Oh, I have no idea. But Nimrod <laughs> was the great hunter of Genesis. And, and he says, my Junga. Me, Yunga, my boy, he's becoming a Canadian Nimrod. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really good day. <laughs> so do you still have the pellets in you now? Yeah, they're still there. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> you never got them removed. They never, no, they never caused didn't. any problems. There was never an infection. No, we just ignored, we just ignored them, and, and we kept the shotgun. So that was the whole point of it all. I think we should acknowledge that that was really lucky. It was very lucky because if I had, I caught the very edge of a spread because yeah, a a, a shotgun that that pattern gets bigger and bigger the further it travels. And I wasn't that far away from from Mel. I was less than a hundred feet. And if I had walked one more step, the yeah, full exactly. blast of that buckshot would have just created a huge ragged hole in my rib cage. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have survived it. Did Mel appreciate that at the time? Oh, and, and so one step further, and then we would have truly lost the shotgun. So we we said how lucky we were because if I'd walked one step further, we would have for sure lost the shotgun. Well, you would have been dead. Probably, yeah. So did Mel <laughs> appreciate that how close he'd come to killing you? No, we never talked about it. We just needed never, to yeah. deal. We were so panicked about losing the shotgun. Yeah, that's all we thought. Wow. <laughs> The, yeah, that's the 11, 11-year-old consciousness. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you can all join us for Episode 5 of The Many Near Deaths of John Heisinger.